0: In the Gospel of Mark, the writer gets straight to the essential details of the story. In October, Bobby kicked off a series titled Come Meet Jesus, preaching through the book of Mark at Image Church. Here is the first part of that first message.
1: I can uh, say as I share this opening story, it's a story that made a lot of difference in my life because it has to do with my bride, who nearly 30 years ago at the age of 19 was invited to hear a series called A Biblical Portrait of Jesus. Heather didn't grow up going to church Uh, Her few experiences that she had at church were a little bit bizarre. She felt like people were swinging off of chandeliers and uh, people would be coming by. And, you know, know, she would just feel like, oh, I got to act like I've passed out or something. Like, and so boom, like she just said she was a little bit traumatized. But when she went to church and she got a chance to get a biblical portrait of Jesus, she said that she did not miss a Sunday. And at the end of the series, the pastor gave an invite to place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. And Heather would go up to the altar and place her faith in Jesus. And the rest was history. Why is that? When she got an invitation to come meet Jesus, everything changed with that. Because Jesus changes everything when we truly encounter him. And maybe that's you. You've had a life encountering transformation because of the person of Jesus. You've entered into a relationship with him. You know that while your life, uh, when you consider it, uh, could always be better, it would be a lot worse without Jesus. Like when I think about my life, I truly believe with all of my heart I would not be alive right now if it wasn't for Jesus. I believe with every fiber in me that alcohol or drug addiction would have killed me many years ago. It's only because of the grace of God that I live and breathe and move and have my very being on a day-by-day basis. Do you ever stop and think of what your life would be like without Jesus? How would your life be different if somebody was to ask me, Bobby, what difference has Jesus made in your life? I could talk to you for the next several days, and I kid you not. I would not be at a loss to share how Jesus has made a difference in my life. I would not be at a loss to say that Jesus changes everything. But when we use the name Jesus, it's important that we use the right name, Jesus, because many people can throw around terms like Jesus and grace, but they might mean something different than the grace that we understand in the Bible that forgives sin or the Jesus who's the only way to heaven. Which Jesus do you believe in? Jesus posed the question, who do you say that I am? and it didn't take long in the early church after jesus rose from the grave and with his followers to go out in the scenes for false Christs to emerge in fact we're warned in the scriptures that just because somebody says that they are the christ we are to be very leery and suspicious We are to discern who the biblical Jesus is against the gospels that give us four portraits of Jesus. In the early church, you had different heresies emerging like that of the Docetists. In the Docetist movement, uh, they believed that Jesus was not human. He merely appeared uh, to be human, but he was really just God so he didn't have an incarnation so they would deny that he came in the flesh and the docetists get they get their word from the greek word dokeo to seem to appear. So he only appeared as if he was human. So what did the docetists do? They deny the humanity of Christ, but then you would have the Ebionist movement that came on the scenes. And what did they do? They denied the divinity of Christ, relegating him to a mere pure human. And then later you would have another group known as the Arians. And they would say that Jesus is not the second person of the triune God. He's not eternal. Rather, he is the firstborn of all creation. And so you can see that Early in the church, like the second century with the Gnostics in the third century, there were heresies already on the scenes. And you want to know where the apologists came from? The early apologists, an apologist is one who defends the Christian faith. They began to emerge, why? In order to ward off these false Christologies, these false teachings about Jesus. They were there to say, no, let's get back to the portrait that's provided. the four Gospels. And so they denied Docetism and they denied Ebionism and they denied Arianism and they denied Nestorianism, which said that Jesus was not one person with two separate natures, namely a divine nature and a human nature, but rather Jesus was two separate persons. And so they confused his personage and they lacked a clear biblical understanding of the answer to the question who do you say that i am not only that you fast forward to a time like today that we're living in and while we don't have those weird terms like nestorianism and docetism and ebianism and uh you know uh arianism what we do have is names like the new age movement and the new agers are happy to throw around the term jesus but they do not believe in the jesus of the scriptures rather they believe that the jesus of history was the first person to experience a christ consciousness and you too can become a christ or you have the hindus Hindus believe in Jesus as well, but not in the Jesus that you and I do. They believe that Jesus was a guru. Guru comes from the two words gu and ru. Gu means darkness, ru means light. A guru is one who leads out of the one out of the darkness and into the light. Or Muslims. Muslims do not believe in the same Jesus as You do, though the Quran recognizes that he was sinless. They do not believe that Jesus would die on a cross. Allah would not subject him to that, nor do they believe that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. They believe that you and I are polytheists of sorts, believing in multiple gods, namely three separate gods, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not one God revealed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or the Jehovah's Witnesses. Basically, what they believe about Jesus is what ancient day Arianism believed. They say that Jesus was the first created being, but he is not eternally one with Yahweh. Or what about the Mormons? Mormons believe that you can become a god someday. Mormons believe that Jesus was basically married and had three wives and was the spirit brother of Lucifer himself. So when we talk about Jesus, which Jesus are we referring to? Well, we're going to look at the biblical Jesus. And we're going to look at one such portrait together in a series through the gospel of Mark. And I want to invite you on a journey to come meet Jesus. I want to invite you to invite others on a journey to come meet Jesus. I want the Jesus of history to walk off the scenes of the scriptures and to grab a hold of your hearts and to make a difference in your everyday life. I want you to encounter him in the same way that my bride did nearly 30 years ago and watch the difference Jesus can make in your life. I want you to set aside your biases about who you think Jesus is and let Jesus speak for himself. Let the scriptures tell the story. Take the picture of Jesus from the Jesus that we have encased in the word of God. This episode
0: of The Unapologetic Show is part of the message Bobby preached to Image Church. Unfortunately, it will end in a cliffhanger, but don't worry, you can watch the whole thing by clicking on the link in the description or visiting imagechurch.live and clicking watch. Let's get back to the message.
1: Now, a little bit about the gospels. We have four of them and the word gospel comes from the greek word euangelion it means good news so these are four portraits four pictures four displays of the good news of jesus christ In the book of Matthew, we learn about Jesus as king. In the book of Mark, we learn about Jesus as a suffering servant. In the book of Luke, we learn about Jesus as the son of man. And in the book of John, we learn about Jesus as the son of God. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospels. The word synoptic means to be seen together. What you get when you read Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, Mark, the second book of the New Testament, and Luke, the third book of the New Testament, is a synoptic picture, a synoptic portrait, where you can see some of the similarities in those portraits. Now what you get when you look at john is an entirely distinct picture and it's a non-synoptic gospel because its emphasis is on the fact that jesus is more than a man and so the jesus of the gospel of mark is the jesus of the gospel of matthew and the gospel of luke and the gospel of john but they Come together like a mosaic to give us a fully orbed picture of this God named Jesus who took on human flesh nearly 2,000 years ago that you and I believe in. Mark is the shortest of the Gospels containing 16 chapters. Luke has 24 chapters. John has 21 chapters. Matthew has 28 chapters. The key word in the gospel of Mark is the word immediately. It's an action-packed gospel. It's moving fast. It doesn't give you a lot of the detail you want. But here's the deal. Of the four gospels, Mark is the earliest written and John is the latest written. Mark was written sometime between A.D. 50 and A.D. 60. The Gospel of Mark was the first Gospel, and what makes Luke and Matthew synoptic Gospels to that Gospel is they would have used the material of the Gospel of Mark to compose the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. And so the way you can explain the similarities is they came from that original source, Mark. And John, John's obviously not using Mark's Gospel to construct his Gospel because the purpose in his portrait is to show you that Jesus is more than a man. Mark was not one of the 12 disciples, rather Mark, was a disciple of one of the disciples namely the disciple of peter and mark is also known more fully as john mark having said that i now invite you to mark chapter one and i will walk you through several different scenes in that chapter and after walking through and beginning to take a snapshot let me just say that today at the beginning of the series picture me with the camera and poof i just took the picture and i take out the polaroid and we're just going to do this and i'm going to set it over here for about four months and each week i'm hoping that the picture will crystallize before your very eyes on this great ancient sage the creator of the universe named Jesus Christ. Now in Mark chapter one, we come to the first scene. Unlike the gospel of Matthew and Luke, where in Matthew one and in Luke three, it begins with these birth narratives. This begins with Jesus already grown up. And it says in the first scene, as it talks about the one who prepared the way for Jesus, who is John the Baptist. The beginning of the gospel or good news of Jesus Christ. So again, this isn't the gospel of Mark. It's not the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of John. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that we have four different authors give us a picture of. So the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah. Now, the second half of verse two, It's interesting because we read, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. Now, it's interesting because we learn at the first half of verse two that this is as it is written by Isaiah the prophet, but then it starts with Malachi chapter three, verse one. And then it's in verse three that we get words from the book of Isaiah. So what's happening here is he just kind of conflates Malachi with Isaiah, and John the Baptist was what? The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So you could picture John, he obviously struggled with some fashion issues. You know, he he wore his leather sandals, uh, he wore camel hair, he had a, a weird diet. He ate, you know, locusts and wild honey. And they even talk about it right here. Like, man, you know, the guy, he wore a leather belt around his waist, ate locusts, wild honey. But what he did is he was out preaching a baptism of repentance. And so people would come to John, and John was the final prophet of the Old Testament. The Old Testament wraps up with the book of Malachi. And there is about a 400-year period between the final book of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. Now, you'll remember that John was the cousin of Jesus, the son of Zebedee, and the son of Elizabeth, and he was uh, born, John the Baptist, three months before Jesus. And he is called John the Baptist because he was the baptizing one. And As he baptized, he would tell about a coming kingdom, that there was this Messiah to come. And he would let people come out to him and people who really wanted to get their hearts ready for the coming of Jesus would say, man, I wanna get baptized. But John would say, okay, but are you convicted of your sin? Do you realize you've sinned? Because we need to make sure that we're confessing our sin. You see, God's people have always been a confessional people, a people who recognize their sin and want to repent of it. Now, John said this about Jesus. He said in the verses that follow, pick up with me, if you will, in verse seven. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Now, in the ancient world, you would have servants if you were affluent and you would walk in sandals on the dusty roads and when you would come home or if you went out to eat or something like that, servants would be there to wash the dust off your feet. John is saying, I am less than a servant. I am not even worthy to be a servant of Jesus. Now, that is quite a statement for the one who was the cousin of jesus now you juxtapose that idea with some of other some of the other relatives of jesus who could hardly even believe in him like james for example who needed to see the resurrected brother the christ before he placed his faith in christ and then would later give us the letter or the epistle of james which is five chapters of just great practical nuggets it's the new testament proverbs and it is loaded with wisdom and so he says i'm not even worthy to be a servant what a what a heart posture toward jesus for us to think i am unworthy to be a servant billy graham as you know the greatest evangelist uh throughout all history it was said of billy that somebody came up to him one time and said, man, Mr. Graham, uh, you must feel pretty proud getting in those stadiums with 50, 75, 100,000 people coming out to listen to you. Billy Graham replied by saying, uh, no more proud than the donkey would have felt bringing Jesus into town on Palm Sunday. I'm just a carrier of, uh, of the gospel. I'm just a person who brings the message. What a humble posture. I remember hearing Billy Graham and his name was up all over the stadium. And he said, this is not about Billy Graham. And he ended up seeing the name come off the different screens. He wanted to lift up Jesus. That's why you and I exist. We are here to make much of Christ. And when we go to bed at night, we want to lay our head down and think, Jesus, what did I make of you today? Am I making much of you in my thought life? Am I making much of you in my commitments? Am I surrendering to you? And so, scene one, what do we get? Well, the one who prepared the way for Jesus, he prepares the way, and in verse eight he says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and indeed he did. Acts chapter two, the church starts, and it starts with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We come to the second scene, which is the baptism of Jesus. It says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, we know that when we look at other gospels, John felt very unworthy. Not only did he feel unworthy to basically be a servant to Jesus, he really felt unworthy baptize jesus now jesus wasn't getting baptized because he saw himself as a sinner but he saw himself as the one who was inaugurating a new covenant verse 10 and when he came up out of the water immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And what a great father. All fathers, make sure you validate your children. Give them some encouragement. This father knew how to validate his son. And he says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. I wonder if the, if the father was to speak a message about us. Could he say, this is my son, This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Or would he say, this is my child. You are so distracted. You are apathetic. You are indifferent to me. You are spiritually complacent. You are playing Christian games. You do not esteem me much. You have went the way of the world. You have got very derailed and sidetracked. Return to me again. Come to me again. Take me seriously. Lean into me. What would he say to us. Well, this little passage right here becomes a great refutation of another Jesus heresy known as modalism. And if you've ever heard of the United Pentecostal Church, they are known as modalists. They reject the Trinity. And a modalist would say that God is one God and the three persons that you see are like Three different actors that walk out on stage. In scene one, the actor comes out with one mask as the father. In scene two, the actor comes out and he's just changed his mask and now he's the son. In scene three, he puts on another mask and now he comes out and he's the Holy Spirit. Modes of understanding the one God who's revealed in one person. But three different actors actions kind of show that he's looking like he's three different persons but in reality he's just one actor playing three parts so what can we say from the scriptures right here on the baptism if you ever bump into anybody if you're a christian apologist you start going wait a second here this can't be the case because in this one scene all three persons of the trinity show up the father is speaking out of heaven the dove representing the Holy Spirit comes down on Jesus Christ. So do you see that right there? They're all simultaneously, each person existing, playing a function, playing a role. So we have the scene of John the Baptist preparing the way. We have the scene of the baptism of Jesus. And now we have the scene of the temptation of Jesus. The Spirit immediately right we saw the word immediately in verse 10 we see it here again the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by satan and he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him so you're kind of like man thanks god i mean i have this great moment and the father you know gives some encouragement about his son and then he sends him out into the wilderness into an arid season to be tempted now isn't That one of the bummers of the Christian life. We hate the thought of God allowing us to go into temptation. Now, this begs a question. We know that God can't tempt anyone, right? Nor can he be tempted. So on one level, we have two questions to deal with theologically. If God can't tempt anyone, is he not tempting his son here? And number two, if Jesus is God and God can't be tempted, how could he have really been tempted? So let's figure out how to resolve this together before we move on to the next scene.
0: You've been listening to Unapologetic with Dr. Bobby Conway, the One Minute Apologist. I am your host, Tim Hall. Be sure to listen to Bobby on Pastor's Perspective Monday through Thursday, as well as like, share, and subscribe to the One Minute Apologist YouTube channel where we have over 1,000 videos. We would also like to remind you that this is a listener-supported program. We would greatly appreciate your support in any amount so we could continue to provide this ministry. If you would like to be a part of our team in any capacity, please visit our website at oneminuteapologist.com. And while you're there, check out all of Bobby's books, courses, and even invite him to speak at your church or event. Thank you for listening to Unapologetic, where we defend truth without compromise.